Women's Retail Collective podcast, where we sit down with retail's top female executives to discuss their career journeys and how they're leading their organizations through our rapidly evolving retail industry. I'm your host, Ann Mazinga. Let's meet our next guest. I'm really excited today because with me, I have Kim Lefko. Kim is the Chief Marketing Officer of Ace Hardware. Kim, thanks for being on the show today. How are you doing? Fantastic. It's so great to be with you and really looking forward to this. You're, you're surviving and thriving. You're look, looking good, ready to go, ready to attack the next few months. And that's exactly how we're feeling right now, based <laughs> on what we just came out of and then we're going into the holidays. So, you know, a bit of a like catch your breath before we turn the corner. What is holiday like for you? Like, I mean, I have to imagine the home improvement district in, in or industry in general is just like blown up. But what is what is kind of key holiday like prep look like for you? Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty standard. You know, the minute that you turn out of Halloween and, uh, you know, it, the Christmas uh, decor goes up and, and the product is shipped into the store. And, you know, for Ace Hardware, we are a destination for gifts, especially as it relates to power tools. Grills are a big category for us. And we carry sure. Weber, Big Green Egg and Traeger. Uh, we even start to see that a little bit at Thanksgiving when people want to do uh, turkeys um. on the grill. So it's a key time for us and uh, we are ready. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you mentioned Weber. I want to start and go back and I want to know about your first job in retail. What was it? You know, it's, I came into retail a little bit untraditional. You know, I grew up professionally, uh, really working on the other side of the table and selling to retail. So I've uh, worked with loved and iconic brands like Black & Decker, DeWalt, uh, Graco Children's Products, car seats and strollers, and most recently, actually, Weber Grills. And, you know, as I worked with these brands, always interacted with different retailers from Costco to Amazon to obviously the, you know, Home Depot and Aces of the world. Sure. And so you, I, I became fascinated with how different retail strategies were. And I think we all are seeing it right now, just how much the retail landscape has changed, not only this year, obviously with the pandemic, but even previously with brands doing direct to consumer and then where does the where where does the retailer fit? So about three years ago, I switched from you know selling products to retail and came over to the retail side to work with Ace Hardware on the marketing. And you know, the, the fit, a lot of people say, you know what are you doing now? And, and how was that transition? And, sure. you know, for me, and I, I think for your listeners as well, it's, um, you know, connecting yourself with a company where you share the values and you share the passion. And, you know, the story about Ace Hardware is a pretty special one that, you know, we have 4,500 stores located across the country. And a lot of times people don't realize that these are independently family-owned businesses that are part of the fabric of these communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this idea of locally owned and part of the neighborhood and family, just it fit really well with my background, my passions, and uh, felt like a really nice transition. 
I can imagine. I mean, I think that my toddler actually learned the name of the shop dog at our local Sedegren's Ace Hardware uh, before he knew his own name. So uh, we know that that is definitely for us, it's been a staple. And I think one of the, the first things that comes to mind when you think of supporting your local businesses and it, the, the local hardware store is one that a lot of communities I don't think could do without not just the products on the shelves, but the product of the store itself and the people in it. And I'm curious, Kim, like from a marketing perspective, how do you do that? I mean, it's not like you're just rolling out signage that's the same in every store. Like, how are you working with over 4,000 different independently owned stores? Yeah, it's, you know, we, we have a promise, you know, behind the brand and everything we do ties back to that. Uh, and, and we message accordingly. And so those, you know, those three areas of our bedrock, the first is we will be relentless in our pursuit of service. And when you think about service, we're the helpful place. And so that yeah. service will be face-to-face -face interactions, the greeting at the store, but it also begins to manifest itself a little bit differently now that digital becomes part of the, you know, part of the equation. In another piece of our bedrock is convenience. And, you know, we felt a shift over the past eight months that, you know, convenience in the past was a, a quick in and out of the store. You know, during, you know, what we've experienced in the marketplace, convenience soon became buy online, pick up curbside. And nice. this was one, you know, the ability to be flexible. We turned curbside on for 4,500 stores overnight. Oh my because, gosh. Because curbside, it was about convenience and we wanted to deliver mm -hmm. on that promise, especially during that period of time and what was happening in the market. But it also was about safety. You know, the consumer right. was feeling this is a safer way to buy. And so, you know, we turned that on because it's a core tenet of our promise to consumers. And then our last, um, all of our messaging, and you see it in the way that we market, is we're about high quality. And that quality really comes back to the product categories that we want to be a destination for. And okay. we are a destination for paint, power, and barbecue. Um, and as a result, we have high quality brands in each one of those product categories. And so when, when you know this is the core promise, this is why people shop us, this is what makes us different, then everything you do in marketing really stems from that. And what are some of the things like you know, you talked about deploying curbside pickup. I mean, I remember when our hardware store, I, I saw them, I'm like, how in the world are they going to take this whole store experience? And sure enough, I mean, they had a table set up, they were doing curbside fulfillment as everybody was doing their DIY projects. What are some of the things that, that kind of shocked you or some of the challenges that you faced that you can give some examples of maybe that, you know, really pushed you to the edges of your comfort level as you were trying to solve these problems with marketing over the course of the last six months? Yeah, you know, I would say there are, you know, there are a couple of key themes. One is uh, for marketing being flexible. You know, we, I felt like we had a huddle every Monday, every Friday, and we, in our huddle consisted of, we need to be laser focused and surgical in our approach. Mm -hmm. um, and what do our stores need from us right now, given the changes that are happening, because the changes were daily. And right. what do our consumers need to hear from us that is authentic, relevant, and, and purposeful? Um, we can't just be putting messages out there for message sake. We really need to make sure it's a value add to the consumer and to the store. 
And an example of that was, you know, within the first three weeks, we realized, holy smokes, we need to tell the world that we're open. You know, so what is the messaging in the campaign and how do we move and pivot quickly on that? You know, from a marketing and just overall leadership, uh, you know, another piece that I learned coming through this is seeking counsel. You know, as as a leader, it's easy to say, all right, we know what we need to do. Let's mobilize. But creating those pause moments where you're truly listening to be influenced or, you know, you often hear, you know, in God, I trust and for everything else, I validate with data. But that idea (laughs) is we can't just trust it's a good idea. What data do we have that shows this is the right thing to do? And so that seeking counsel, I mean, it's something that I'll carry with me, you know, outside of this pandemic, but that idea that let's really listen to the people around us and listen with open ears and open minds to truly be influenced to, if this is what's right for the strategy, we'll do it. And this idea of validate everything with as much data um, as possible. And, and we let truth um, kind of rise above harmony. You know, it, it was going to be bumpy. We wouldn't always just, you know, agree, but we would put truth and brutal facts on the table. And operating that way as leaders in our business uh, was really helpful to get the best thinking and the most critical action out into the marketplace for our stores and consumers. That makes it, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I wonder, Kim, as you look back, I mean, obviously major learnings happening over the course of the last six months, but as you think back even further in your career, what are some of the moments that kind of stand out for you where you did have to go seek counsel or, or even points where maybe not seeking counsel, but you think like really were formative things that happened throughout your career from, you know, your time at Graco all the way through to your time now leading marketing at ACE? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I would say a couple of things as far as guidance and, and advice is one, um, follow great leaders. You know, uh, it's amazing how a leader sets the tone and, you know, the best way to do that is really align either with a leader or a company culture that the values match yours. Um, you know, for, for example, here at ACE, we say we light our values and winning and excellence are obvious ones that are going to be at other companies. But values like love and humility uh, and integrity, you know, they, they're very, very relevant in the way that we show up um, in, inside our company. And so that idea, it, too often, you probably skip over that, right, as you're making decisions on key moves either into a company or, or job. Um, but aligning with leaders that have values similar to yourself or aligning to company cultures um, that have values that, that you're passionate about, uh, I think that's a that's a key thing to consider as you make moves. Now, I also would say that you know a recent move here of you can apply knowledge. I I knew the tools and what it took to build the love and demand for these iconic brands. Right. And now to take that over and apply it to a retail environment, transferable skills like don't be afraid if it doesn't look like a straight line uh, that you you know that you can't you know color outside the lines. I think you have, if you have transferable skills, you can jump industries and and um, product categories even. And don't be afraid of that. Were you nervous? Like, were you nervous kind of crossing over and going to the retailer side? I, you know, it's, 
if you get too comfortable, I think that, you know, there's a quote of if, if a certain position or job is really comfortable, then maybe, and you can slip a little bit into contentment, which can be dangerous, um, is stretch yourself and lean into something that is a little uncomfortable. And, you know, I knew, I will say I'm very comfortable in hardware, given my Black & Decker, DeWalt, Weber, you know, days. And so I felt very comfortable with the product categories in the space. And I was really passionate about what ACE stands for in the support of family-owned businesses. And very progressive, you know, as, as you see what ACE is doing um, and the success that we're having in digital and in-store experience, I think really tailoring the shopping experience to today's consumer, but also tomorrow's consumer is pretty right. exciting. Right. Well, and I, you know, one, one consistent theme throughout your career, Kim, is that you are you've witnessed all of this, this change. I mean, I have to imagine the process from, you know, starting it again, starting at Black and Decker and DeWalt and Graco and like how you've been, you've been on kind of the forefront of this direct to consumer trend or like what, what it's like to sell to retailers and now sell to consumers. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've, you've experienced and, and just how you're applying that to your role now? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a fun one, right? To look back when you realize how old you are, um, but <laughs> that was not the intent. That no, was not the but intent. you do. Um, but no, looking back, it's, um, it's amazing because, you know, starting, you starting with DeWalt is, is where I started and it was very, um, you know, guerrilla marketing. We were out on job sites and demonstrating power tools and no way uh, yeah, doing demonstrations on job sites. And, you know, you fast forward, I think that one, my appreciation of knowing the product, having your hands on the product, um, and also during the time there, they're very much about understanding the financials and, you know, the, the margin and, and consumer insight driving product innovation. And I think taking that, I mean, it was, I'm very fortunate that that was one of my first experiences you take that and then uh, fast forward going to Graco Children's Products, which was completely different set of products um, sure. in your target audience. But then, you know, I, I gathered the the need to understand the unsaid, unspoken needs of a consumer. You know, it's the ethnographic research where you go out mm. and you watch moms and dads with their children. And we called it duct tape research, where you watch how they're interacting with product and you uncover innovation, innovation by how consumers show up and behave. Um, and then you, you take that into the next experience of launching a very, you know, the very first website for a company and then taking that website out to 41 different countries and then launching an app. So it is amazing to me that the sequence of my experiences um, really built on each other um, right. because if I had just jumped into digital and not had that, you know, hands-on experience with the product and interacting with the consumer, I'm not sure the depth of my, you know, my marketing and, and my ability to contribute and, and cast a vision that, you know, it's always about the consumer. The consumer always has to be front and center, whether you're designing an app, whether you're designing a website, an in-store shopping display, or an actual product. Um, and so I think there's something really cool about how you can go from different professional experiences that build on each other 
Uh, and don't be afraid to, uh, you know, I always say build a broader foundation of experiences and you'll build a taller building. Um, but if you keep your, you know, your experiences more narrow, uh, maybe your track is a little bit different, a little bit narrow itself. I really like that analogy. I think that is especially important now, I think, is things are changing so quickly that it seems like if you're not willing to kind of learn and go out and seek like you're talking about new experiences to really build that broad foundation, you're you're not going to find yourself in a pretty good spot very long. I mean, or you, or contentment hits and then, you know, what, what, go, what do you, where do you go from there? I don't know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I'm curious, you know, as you're, you're looking back, is there anything that, and you, and as you look forward, you look at what you've done so far, is there anything that you're still like thinking you'd like to take on or anything still on the career bucket list for you? Oh, that's the, you know, that's a, that's a tough question. I think career wise, I, you know, I have a, a love for this space, you know, of um, being a value add to the consumer and, you know, the consumer is changing so um, rapidly, you know, in one, you, I think you have three very distinct consumer groups and as they shift in and out of life stages, how you connect and engage with them um, is different. And that keeps it, it's almost like it's the same job, but it's totally different year to year. Right. And that challenge of, are you connecting in an authentic and engaging in value add way is, um, is fun and it, it, you know, it's thrilling. But I, you know, I, I will say that the idea of mentoring in all different um, styles is something that I care deeply about. I, you know, stories connect us. And the more you share your story and your advice and your guidance and your failures, whether that's casual one on one or whether it's with a broader audience, um, I think that's really important for the rising generation. Um, mm -hmm. Of to seek learnings and see stories and realize, you know, they're not navigating, you know, for the first time and where are the pitfalls to watch out for or how to navigate certain challenges or how to lean into fear. It, those mentoring discussions, whether it be formal or informal, is something I want to do more of. And, you know, I think formats like this allow for that because that that story sharing, the information sharing, I think makes us better, um, whether it's within a field or, you know, women in business. Uh, that, so that, I, I would say that, do more of that. Sure. What do you think, or is there anybody that you've given advice to that you know made a huge impact? And if so, what was that advice? Hmm. You know, I, ha I have had people over the years, you know, come back and, you know, one that, um, you know, one that I can think of was uh, sidestep your career uh, to pour time into your family. And, hmm. you know, it was, a, it was a, a conversation, you know, that I was having and probably a little bit based on my experience of in a global role, two young children and realizing, wow, I'm spending a lot of time away uh, and right. the ability to say, I'm going to slow things down professionally to make sure I don't have any regrets later. And, you know, I navigated that myself, you know, during during that phase of life. And when I was mentoring and working with another woman who was um, doing something very similar, younger, you know, a, a couple stages behind me. 
And, you know, later on, she made a similar decision. And later on, uh, you never regret a move that puts uh, the need of your, you know, your family, if you're feeling it, you know, lean into that is so important. And so that's one that was pretty heartfelt. It was very, um, you know, very relevant uh, and, and timely, but that was a big one uh, for me. But I, yeah. I'm also, you know, you feel like are my stories and my experiences, are they really going to make that much of a difference uh, to other, other people? But I think it's important we share our stories because it does, it is a form of connection. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's, that's another thing that we've heard a lot in over the course of these interviews that I've done, you know, this constant battle of like being, especially with being a mother or a caretaker of any family members and trying to have career on top of that. I mean, it feels like it's a pretty significant battle that, you know, I don't, I don't know that you ever win it, but, uh, but you can definitely seek to kind of find what the right balance is for, for you. And, I think it means a lot that even that you've shared that story with, with our audience now, because I think that you don't often hear to make a decision that you feel like may, may not be the best career wise for you. But like you said, you know, to not have those regrets later on once the career is, you know, behind you and you still have this family that you've raised, it's really special. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, you mentioned, um, that you are you during these times you know the last six months or times of struggle throughout your career you've seeked some outside influence is there a somebody that you go to is there a you know podcasts or books or like who's your kind of guru when it comes to trying to get through and solve these these life mysteries Kim I mean yeah, if well, we can't if we can't go to you directly who are your resources oh, that we yes, we love really kind you're super kind you know, I, I, this is it. There's so much out there and it can be a little bit daunting, right? Of where do you go mm -hmm. to seek, um, seek wisdom. And, you know, I, besides like personal that, you know, that we've talked, you know, talked about, I do think you need to dedicate time and energy to that because if you're, you know, healthy mind and spirit, you show up better professionally, but to speak, you know, very professional in, in where I seek inspiration or look for trends, you know, I do break it down into a couple of buckets. One is, especially in the world of marketing, really understanding the consumer is everything. And, we, and we've talked at length about that uh, today. But, you know, there are, there's a podcast out there. It's um, Outside In, I believe. And it's very much about the changing consumer, the changing marketplace and starting everything there and how innovation comes from it. But consumer reading research and McKinsey's been putting out, you know, a lot of uh, research reports and, you know, pre and post at COVID and that sure. understanding the changing trends there, you need to have your finger on the pulse. Uh, the second area is, especially in marketing, I say, if we're not innovating, if we're not testing and learning, if we're not on the front cusp of that, then, you know, our business is in danger. And so where do you find ingenuity is another piece, um, you know, of, of work and, and focus in learning. And a couple, a couple here, one, there's a podcast, um, uh, it's IdeaCast by okay. HBR, which, which is a great one. And then mm -hmm. a recent book is um, Deep Work. And the whole premise of deep work is we're too often multitasking. 
and we're, t we're not going deep on the big issues. And we often, even just the way we use our day, we spend it on shallow work. Mm -hmm. And so how do you carve out the time, not only for yourself, but how do you encourage your team to do the same thing where you dedicate long stretches of time without structure and extreme focus on one or two topics that you're really going to digest and peel the layers back. And they say, you know, to discover, to, to achieve mastery, you need thousands of hours of repeat work on one topic or one skill. And so that's one that we've really been honing inside, um, inside ACE. And then the third one is leadership. And, you know, I'm a believer, you get to a certain point that you grow people and you grow business in that order. And so pouring time and energy into developing your team? Are they extremely focused and they know what's expected of them? Um, is there accountability and follow-up? And, you know, we have a goal system. You know, we use the, the wildly, wildly important uh, goals system at ACE, and it's uh, extremely effective at driving focus and getting points on the board. And, and I think it all comes down to refining, you know, your leadership. So those are the three areas that um, I'm always balancing, you know, how am I getting better and where am I infusing my mind and, and time with new thinking in those three buckets? Um, because I, I feel like that's the formula sure. to, uh, to stay ahead. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, what do you do in your downtime? <laughs> if oh, you have any. <laughs> yeah, no, Right. The, uh, you know, well, I have two children, so two okay. girls and they're, uh, that's a lot of work and a lot of fun. And, uh, my husband and I, you know, we, we are enjoying them and each phase is unique and, and I see better than the last, you know, cause you see them and how they're developing. I'm big into running. I ran the Chicago marathon, uh, last oh, wow. year. I'm so glad that we did it last year. Uh, as yeah. the first marathon experience, my heart goes out to the people that trained hard and weren't able to, to Ugh, run it this year, but I know a couple of, of my passions outside of, outside of the office. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Kim, for sharing all of this, your, all of you that you've learned, all of your experience. I want to close with one question and that is something that you mentioned about following great leaders earlier on. And, and companies that whose values you believe strongly in. As you f do a final look back on your career, is there one person, one great leader, maybe not even a leader, maybe it's a colleague or someone who worked for you, as you look back on your career and you could write a thank you note to one person who has impacted it in some way, who would you write that thank you note to and what would you say to them? Mm, oh, I love that question. It's probably a little bit cliche, but I would, um, hands down, I'd write it to my parents. Um, you know, I, I grew up on a farm in upstate New York and I'm the youngest of four kids. And, um, my father was very hard on us and he was all about building our character and he wanted grit. He wanted a competitive spirit, a zero tolerance for, for good, um, and always striving to be better. He would even like put us against each other for competition. And I'm grateful for that. You know, he truly, mm -hmm. you know, built a, a tough uh, and, and gritty character. And my mom at the same time 
poured love on us. You know, she never raised her voice and, but she focused on, you know, faith and family and compassion and empathy and in a soft heart. And so, you know, I look at them and I'm, I'm grateful for, at the time I wasn't grateful for being raised on a farm, but I would thank them for, for the conditions and in the atmosphere of where we grew up and, and the push on our character and the push on our heart. And I think it translates, you know, when you ask people to show up at work and show up as your best self, you mm-hmm. want people to bring a mind that's rigorous and intellectual and curious but you also want people to show up with their heart, which is compassionate and empathetic and loving. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I'm grateful that that there was an equal focus on those two characteristics. Uh, yeah. Like you said, it's building people first and then the business too. I mean, that, you can you can see where that comes from. That background comes from with you too. That's, that's right. That's right. Well, Kim, I really appreciate your time today. I know our audience does too. Thank you so much for being with us and good luck this holiday and the rest of the year. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. If you could have your own concert with three bands, Dead or Alive. Oh, wow. I'm going to say Taylor Swift. Um, Steve Miller Band mm-hmm. and the Dixie Chicks. Oh man, yes, 